This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Good morning. The first lesson is from the 12th chapter of Daniel. At that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people, shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish such as has never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. The second lesson is from the 10th chapter of Hebrews. Every priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since then has been waiting until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. He also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the 13th chapter. As Jesus came out of the temple... One of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, You see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be? 
And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. The gospel of the Lord. Our readings today have a distinctly apocalyptic tone to them. Apocalyptic is one of those wonderful, indispensable church words for which there really is no substitute. It refers to those things that look to the end, to the end of time, to the end of this whole cosmic enterprise. And both Daniel and Mark see it as something that wraps up not with a whimper, but with a bang. Jesus' disciples were drawn mostly from the uh, countryside rather than from the city. They were mostly simple folk, farmers, fishermen, blue-collar types. And so it's not surprising that they might be impressed by what they see in the big city, especially there on the Temple Mount. The temple was meant to inspire awe. When Solomon built the first temple. It was magnificent in its own right. Just read the biblical description of it. But of course, that temple had been lost when the Babylonians invaded. It had been rebuilt, but now Herod the Great was ruling over this area. And Herod was one of the great builders of ancient times. And Herod built a truly magnificent temple. Herod was an incredible builder such that he was almost a one-man fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that the valleys would become plains, the mountains would be brought low. He built the Herodium in which he constructed a man-made mountain and then made it into a combination palace and fortress. And now on top of Mount Moriah, he reduces this mountain into a great plain, leveling the top of it in order to make a platform for this new magnificent temple. And just to give you a sense of scale, This new platform that he built on top of Mount Moriah was some 900 by 1,500 feet wide. It was twice the size of the Roman Forum, four times the size of the Athenian Acropolis. 
It was magnificent. And on top of this, he built up a new temple that was layered with gold and silver such that in some of the writings that survive, pilgrims would talk about how when the the sun rose, it would become blinding from the reflected light. This was, after all, the central place for their worship. But more than that, this was where they believed God dwelt. This was God's house. And as such, it was built to reflect that glory. So magnificent was it that the Israelites believed that as long as God dwelt in the temple, it could never be destroyed. God's holy city could never fall. It was a theory that got put to the test soon enough. For as some before him had already done, Jesus predicted that the end was coming for this temple and for this holy city. And indeed, shortly after his death, the temple was raised by the Romans who fed up with the constant revolutions going on in this area, the constant uprisings, they finally came in and destroyed the whole affair. Still confident that God would protect them and their temple, when the Romans sacked the city, thousands of Israelites fled to the temple, believing that they would be safe there. But the Romans simply burned the temple down over their heads. Which led to an obvious question. What happened to God? Where was the one who was supposed to be living in this temple? As the people were carried off into slavery, they wondered if the temple's gone, if the city is gone, is our God also gone? And here they made a remarkable discovery. A discovery that has done more to shape our understanding of God, our understanding of church, than anything else. They discovered that this God went with them away from the temple, away from Jerusalem, went with them into slavery. They discovered that God was still with them. And when they tried to find a way to make sense of this and to put it into words, what they realized was that It was not this magnificent Herodian temple built out of 80-ton blocks 
like Legos that had been the house of God. They were each of them the temple of the Lord. And God lived in them. And that's the operative word. Lived in them. It is perhaps a natural progression. Anytime something becomes institutionalized, gradually the institution starts to become more important than that that is instituted within it. Perhaps over time the temple itself became more important than the God that was worshipped therein. Such that it became hard to imagine one without the other. But there in the midst of exile and slavery, the people discovered a God who lived and breathed and moved and went with them where they went. A living God who could not be confined into one place or into one way of being. A living God who, like all living things, consistently surprised and changed and challenged like all living things do. We think we have a pretty good handle on who our children are and we find that each day as they grow, they become something slightly different, something new, such that it's constantly a process of getting to know them anew. And I suppose they might say the same thing about their parents. You think you have a pretty good handle on them, except as you grow and learn more about what has made them who they are, your understanding of them as people deepens. In some ways, we are perhaps going through now one of the greatest challenges the church has ever faced. A challenge brought not by invading armies, but brought by what? Reflection, changing times. A world that is growing increasingly faster in its changes. And, and the church is challenged to keep up. And we find that more and more people look at the church and say, yeah. And so we dance faster. Trying to be what they want. Trying to build a better temple turning our churches into Disneyland's designed to give everyone anything they want. Just please come and help us meet our budget. And we have to be reminded, again, our God is a living God who lives within God's living people. With this space or without this space, 
the temple of God continues to dwell in and with and through us and continues to go where we go. And we are every bit as much the church, whether we meet in here or whether we gather on a street corner or in someone's house. And we always have to be on guard lest we equate this place with God's house. This is where God's house meets. And this is not the center of our being, but simply the roof over our head. And as we approach Thanksgiving, perhaps this is something to give thanks for. We get so anxious about how we're going to meet our budget. We get so anxious about how many people gather here on a Sunday morning. We get so anxious about this and that and wonder, where's God in all this? God is here with and in us. And that living, breathing God continues to draw us onward And just as the people, as they went into slavery, were surprised to to find that God had preceded them there, so we will continue to be surprised to find that living, breathing God around each new corner in the deepest and darkest spaces in our lives and in the most glorious and brilliant moments. that God will draw us forward, ever onward toward that apocalypse, where we will find in the end that it's all about life, not space. It's all about life, not death. And even as the cosmos approaches its end, we will once again be surprised to find that that end is in itself a new beginning. Just one more breath of our living God who will breathe yet a new and glorious kingdom into being. Amen.